Hey, Grace Auburn family. Welcome to season one, episode one of the Grace Auburn Church Podcast. In this first episode, I, Lee Cadden, and Matt Dean, our lead pastor here at Grace Auburn Church, we sit down uh, for the purpose of telling the story of how Grace Auburn came to be. In our membership classes over the last several years, we've gone through this in what feels like a much more abbreviated version. And so we thought if you're new to Grace Auburn or if you needed just a really, really good reminder of how this all began, then this episode is for you. Uh, We talk about the purpose of the series, kind of big picture at first, and then uh, really dig into the beginnings of Grace Auburn Church, Matt and April on their way back from East Asia and how we as a church uh, were formed in the earliest days, uh, beginning really with a vision and dream uh, in 2017 and gatherings beginning uh, in the first part of 2018. And then towards the end of the episode, we get into our mission statement and why it matters uh, that God has given that to us here in this place. We talk about membership and why belonging to one another in a day when it is Uh, much easier and more popular to belong to self, why membership to a local body matters and why how we worship together matters and that we worship together matters. So uh, I'm excited to share this conversation with you. It was a joy to have. I hope it's a gift to you, a blessing to you. Uh, Wherever you are this week, wherever you find yourself listening to this podcast, this is the Grace Auburn Church Podcast. Hey, Grace Auburn family. This is Lee Cadden, uh, executive pastor at Grace Auburn Church. It has been such a gift to serve in that capacity, and I'm here at the beginning of the um, inaugural season of the Grace Auburn Leadership Podcast with lead pastor Matt Dean. Matt, welcome. This is fun. It is fun. This is a different way, just so everybody knows, it's a different way to sit in the worship space. Um, We are gathered here uh, because at 720 East Glen, it might be the only quiet room in the building throughout the week, which makes it a ton of fun. Matt and I are gathered together here today to have a conversation that really begins a series of episodes in the Leadership Podcast uh, with really a twofold purpose. One of them is to introduce you who may be new to Grace Auburn, um, maybe a a deep dive conversation as if you were pulling up a a chair at this table with us and having a cup of coffee to talk about what makes us who we are. If you're new to Auburn or you're new to Grace Auburn in particular, um, you will find out and know that our sermon series are through books of the Bible, one verse at a time. And so we don't spend a lot of time on Sunday mornings in worship talking about what makes us unique, what makes us who we are, what's, so to speak, our DNA uh, as a church. And so we want to introduce some of those conversations that we'd love to continue on over coffee or lunch or breakfast. For those of you who are new to Grace Auburn, and for those of you who are not new, the second purpose of uh, this series or this season of the Leadership Podcast is to stir up, really by way of reminder, what are the things that when you signed your family commitment— Uh, What are the things that you agreed to? What are the things that we agreed to do on your behalf as leaders, as pastors, as elders, and as ministry leaders? So that's really the two purposes, to introduce those of you who are kicking the tires, so to speak, at Grace Auburn. What does it mean to be part of this church? What does it mean to be a member here? What does it mean to serve here? What does it mean to be committed to this family and to stir up and remind those of us who have maybe been here from the beginning, hey, what did we sign up to or what do we sign on for as we carry out 
this mission together. A, a lot of the conversations that we have with people, especially over membership classes, Matt, start with, hey, tell me the story. Tell me why a new church. There are even spaces on our website dedicated to what makes Grace Auburn distinct, what makes Grace Auburn unique. And so much of what makes Grace Auburn unique is really tightly interwoven in your story. You and April coming back to America, having lived for so many years in East Asia. So I want to go all the way back to 2017. And I know you may need to start before 2017, but I think it would be good for people to hear when you came back to the States, were you planning on coming back to the States? Was it like, okay, now it's April of 2017 and it's time to go plant a church in Auburn? I know that, that that carries a lot with it. So just jump in there, tell the story as you would with somebody sitting down. Yeah, the story really begins in 2017 when we were not planning on coming back to the States. Uh, we were on year four of serving in Asia. Uh, in particular, we were in China for three years, and then we had moved to Hong Kong in 2016, thinking we would be there for 10 years. Uh, I was pastoring an international congregation there. I loved that church and loved the people of that church. Uh, but due to immigration issues, my employment visa was rejected uh, just before Easter in 2017. And so what we thought would be a 10-year commitment to serving in Hong Kong ended up being about nine months. And yes. when I learned the news uh, that we couldn't stay, uh, that was difficult for us. Um, but we knew after four years overseas on this particular run that we just needed to come back home. Yeah. If you've ever had any conversation with Matt, you know consistently from leaving in 2009 to begin with that it was about a yes being on the table because your story goes from <laughs> it goes from Southeast Asia to Northeast Asia to back to the states and all in between and then to the center of China and man so much of y'all's story is about yes 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 mm -hmm. yes Hong Kong that last season was a yes that you thought yeah was going to be far longer lasting but it wasn't so you end up here mm -hmm. back in Montgomery for a short season then moving to Auburn praying through okay God what next yeah, at no point was there a question, do we love Jesus? At no point did we really question our faith or question our calling. Uh, and and April, April and I would both say that our yes is, continues to be on the table, even even today. But when we moved back to the States, um, I knew I loved being a pastor. Mm. I knew I loved uh, preaching the Word. And I knew that as we were raising, at that point, our first teenager, uh, that we needed to be in a place uh, where community would be central to that. So yeah. when we moved back to Auburn, um, we really began to pray through and think about this is where we were before from 2002 to 2009. Um, we had dreamed about planning a church even back then here in Auburn, but the timing was not right. And honestly, the Lord um, needed and did some things in our own hearts in terms of humility and global perspective while we were overseas. And so when we came back and it was clear that we were going to plant a church in Auburn, um, we really knew that we wanted to have a church that was centered around Jesus, which mm. seems obvious. Mm. Um, but yet in our today, in our culture, specifically in America, church is not always about Jesus. No. It can be about other things, tragically. And so we knew we wanted to have a church focused around who Jesus is, what does it look like to know him and to love him. And then really based on the cumulative effect of our overseas time, we wanted to be a local church with a global heart. And Auburn is uniquely positioned to do that because of how many international uh, students and residents there are here. And so yeah. 
when we thought about what does it look like to know one another, to love Jesus together, and to be a local church with a global heart, we began with 18 adults gathering at Ross House, and really the bulk of those 18 adults, we knew each other before. There were a handful of new friendships beginning, but mm. I remember very specifically meeting in the afternoon at Ross House in March, and um, and really it was just for those next few months was focused on knowing each other, um, hearing each other's testimony, hearing how the Lord was already at work and dreaming together uh, about what it looked like to plant a church together. Yeah. I we So Lacey and I were on staff with another local church. I remember coming to the first gathering at Roth's house going, good night, there are more children than there are people. 18 adults and 18 children. So it, it was such a beautiful picture of both an extension of your family and, God, what could you do with another local church that, with, a, with a unique heart for both the world, for your glory in the world, and amongst the many nations that God had brought here. So the, the next three months, we're really fleshing that out, sharing stories, working through both what we feel called to, but then what, what is this going to look like? What is mm-hmm. it going to feel like? What is it going to, you know, smell and and sound like, so to speak, when we do get together? And Lacey and I were observing from the outside at that time, really a part of another local congregation cheering you guys on, having had a multi-year friendship at that point. Summer of 2018 comes, and you've, let's just call it, outgrown Ross House. Not that that took terribly long to outgrow the hallway, but what's the next season like? Summer of 18, moving into a season of worship. So summer of 18, I began a residency with Summit Church in Raleigh-Durham, and that was uh, helpful for me to establish a rhythm of being on a year-long journey with other guys that were planting churches. Um, So while I was planting here in Auburn, I was also being equipped on the practicalities of how do you plant not only a sustainable church, but a church that ultimately will multiply and plant more churches? And while I was doing that, every uh, every week or two, traveling back to North Carolina to be with that cohort of other church planters on Sunday evenings at 5 o'clock, we would meet for worship at Trinity Lutheran. And it's a beautiful space. Um, I have fond memories of being there mm-hmm. and of getting there early and setting up and doing all that. But for a year, we gathered on Sunday evenings at 5 p.m., at Trinity Lutheran, in so many ways, the architecture, uh, the look and feel, the simplicity of that space still very much informs uh, what our worship style looks and feels like today, but that was never the initial plan. Um, But over that year of meeting at Trinity Lutheran, uh, our little tribe of, of 35 grew to about 50, and those relationships, many of those relationships, uh, are still uh, a present part of our life today, and we're just so grateful for that season. Yeah, I, I remember, again, coming and cheering on and even preaching for you a couple of times while you were traveling back and forth to Raleigh, and I could not help but think, even then and now as I think back on it, there are there are textbook ways to plant a church, uh, but your family being the entire setup and teardown team is probably not in the textbook of how that should go, but it worked <laughs> wonderfully in that season, in that space, because of the limited things that were needed and because of the space they allowed us to set some things into in storage. But Josh and Luke and Caleb being a part of setting up everything really informed so much of how this church would continue on. Of like, hey, as a family, we're here to do whatever it takes. Mm-hmm. We're here to say, hey, we are all in, not just me as dad and pastor and leader, but as a family, we want to see this thing really grow and do well and really be here for the long haul, not not just a, a short-fused burnout kind of thing, but a church that's still here 
100 years from now or until Jesus comes back. Yeah, it takes all in for everyone. And I remember April and I, we would be the ones coordinating um, child care. We would be the ones coordinating worship. There were some weeks I didn't know who would lead worship. Um, and it was a it was a family affair, and we were committed to doing it. Um, but I think it's also important um, to remember that every serving role in the church we've done mm. and um, and we love doing and we would be willing to do again, but it takes a commitment, especially to plant a church, not only to preach the word of God, not only to love people well, but to serve alongside people. And that's something I don't ever want us to get um, away from is what does it look like as we serve God together? Mm, that's so good. So, so much of the DNA established in that first year at both Ross House, Trinity Lutheran, 2019 rolls around. We are sent by, my family and I sent by another local church um, to come alongside of you in this planting effort. We continued on at Trinity Lutheran at 5 p.m., recognizing, man, we really do need to find a space and time to worship in the morning. Um, And we looked and looked and prayed and prayed, and in the spring of 2019, the Lord provided 720 East Glen, this space for us. So walk us through that journey of going from a 5 p.m. worship setting into just what it took to get into this place with the people that it took to get into this place. I think one of my favorite memories is um, when about 50 of us at the time gathered in this same room yeah, and we circled up and prayed what was then still a an abandoned women's gym um, with hideous <laughs> carpet and walls. And, uh, and I remember writing on a piece of paper on the wall all of our prayers mm. uh, for what God would do in this space. But I think to move into this space uh, as a church of 50... Um, what was most required on our part was faith mm. and faithfulness. Yes. Faithfulness to one another, faithfulness to God, but also faith that if he wants to build this congregation to fill what felt like, at the time, a large room for 50 people, <laughs> that he he would be the one to do that. Right. And so, uh, But when we moved in, um, I remember specifically that the money we needed to renovate the space, it came in, I believe, in nine weeks, yes, and right. we renovated the space um, and got into it debt free, and it was uh, it was a joy just to see yeah. uh, the church move to the next season in its story. And once we moved to morning worship services, and once there was a sense of permanence, no, we're here to stay. I think that's really when the growth began to occur. Yeah, no doubt. I I remember a member of our finance team saying one time that Grace Auburn's greatest return on investment has been and will always be in its people. Mm-hmm. And we saw that just tenfold of what felt like an incredible amount of money to renovate this space and make it warm, make it good enough. We knew or we hoped, man, we'd love to grow into this, but it, this may not be long term. This may not be permanent. It may not be the 100 year home, but it required an incredible amount of investment for the purpose of making room for more people. And we saw that all fall of 2019. And we had everything moving in what felt like a, what felt like fast at first, but then really settled into a rhythm of we're continuing to meet new people, new people, new people, new people. Christmas of that year in this space was beautiful. I think that was our first time celebrating Christmas Eve together, Christmas together, because we had a space that we could do it in. And then March of 2020 rolls around. Mm-hmm. And you and I find ourselves asking a whole lot of questions, really everybody asking questions in light of the COVID-19 pandemic. But 
Walk us through that process for you as lead pastor, church planter. I was I got a front row seat to, to all of that, but tell me what that was like. Tell us what that was like for for you moving into a new season. It felt like whiplash <laughs> is the best way I can describe it because I remember clearly uh, we had a gathering for our church with internationals here in Auburn um, during the holiday season, mm-hmm. and I remember our church lobby and the hallway being full of people from all around the world. Yes, um, I actually remember having dinner with a family from Wuhan yes. in the lobby um, and thinking, this is awesome, that our church is filling the space, that the nations are walking through the door, and yes. that we're on target for uh, the mission that God has called us to. And I was so encouraged. And then, yes, March happened, and I very clearly remember thinking, well, we'll just cancel for two weeks, and was not thinking we needed to go online, right. was not thinking that we would ever live stream. And it felt like we had, we finally were in our space. We had momentum. There was growth. Mm. There was so much joy in ministry. And then everything came to what would be a dead halt, Mm. hence the whiplash. And I remember for both you and I having to turn on a dime of going, A, will not will the big C church make it because we know nothing can stand against God's faithfulness and his kingdom, but will this little C church make it in its infancy through a pandemic that we didn't know how long would last. And so I think if we're both honest, we were both going, will we have a job? Uh, Yeah. Right. Will there still be a church? Um, Are people going to come back? (laughs) Um, How do we do this? And I remember it wasn't a hard decision. I think for you or I, we did everything we could Mm. counted the cost and said, we're going to keep being faithful. And so Zoom began to happen, and then I think for you and I both, a very traumatic experience of learning how to record a sermon in an empty room. Mm. Uh, those were difficult days. From my phone, by the way. Yes. We, so at the time, we don't own a single camera. No. Except for the ones that are on our phone. We have never recorded anything. We for sure not. We for sure don't know how to live stream a thing. And we're like, okay, we're going to record sermons, post them online, and hope that it communicates the gospel in a way that's authentic to us. And man, did it feel like a train wreck. Yes. Well, if, if you're not, if you've never preached before, part of the joy in preaching is people and seeing God's word land in the hearts <laughs> of people. And I cannot tell you how difficult it is to preach to a camera with no one there. Yeah. And I know it was frustrating for you um, <laughs> as you watched me get frustrated with myself. And I very clearly remember one 20-minute sermon. I think it took us eight or nine hours to record. It was for sure an entire day. And it was so exhausting and so draining, and um, and it just was a very difficult season. But all that to say, God was faithful mm. to the church and to this church, but it was a lot of hard work behind the scenes with no real sense of, is this even going to work? Yeah, that's right. And I just remember you and I choosing to still come in, choosing to be on the phone, choosing to work hard in faith and doing our best to reach out to the people that were part of this congregation. And God used all that to continue to build and strengthen our church. Yeah, no doubt. When we were able to finally, what turned into two weeks turned into months. And when when we were finally able to worship together, even though it was outside and even though it was smoking hot, I was like, oh my goodness, Mm -hmm. they didn't leave. We are still 
here. And I, I can I can vividly remember that and then coming back to worship in this space, going into that fall. Really, God's faithfulness, the faithfulness of the people of this church to continue to give, to continue to be present, active, and engaged. I mean, we met people via Zoom. The people, the people of Grace Auburn, I have said this from the very beginning of our part of this story, the people of Grace Auburn continue to invite friends, family, neighbors, people into this story because they're passionate about what God is doing here. And that was evident even in those early days, even through a pandemic, even across Zoom prayer gatherings where I'm like, what's a breakout room and how can we make this entirely (laughs) smaller so that people actually get to know one another as we share our stories. But coming back in that fall and seeing God continue to grow this small family of believers into the family that is Grace Auburn now, We have seen year upon year upon year now of God continuing to faithfully and just incredibly grow his church, both in our membership, the growth of our team, uh, as we continue to prayerfully ask God, how can we lead and care for this group of people well? And that brings us really over the course of the last several years, while there has been anything but normal happened since the COVID-19 pandemic, even with the, the state of our economy and the state of American politics and the state of the church in the West, the state of so, the state of so many different even denominations making decisions now that, that we have to walk alongside of and with people in, we find ourselves now in 2023 in a building that we hoped to one day fill to one service, now asking, God, what is our step now that we have filled three services, now that you have brought this number of people into our family? God, how can we take a next step? So that's where we find ourselves now continuing to hold open-handedly our future, hold open-handedly the possibility of the purchase of land, and or is there a next step for us in the in-between? Is there another space that, we, God, you would have us renovate, knowing that it will be money and a leased space that seems like a waste, and yet the return on investment is people, not property, not real estate, not buildings, but people. And so now that's kind of where we find ourselves in 2023. That's a, that's a, a, our story, so to speak, up until this point. I don't know if there's anything else you want to say just about our history since, really since the pandemic, but it does feel like it's been, I mean, we've had ups and downs and we've had people come into the church. We've had people leave the church. We've experienced an incredible amount of both personal pain and loss and an incredible amount of joy and life in the baptism of people from all over the world into mm-hmm. the life of this faith family. So before I shift gears into a little more about who we are and what makes us unique, is there anything else you want to say just about our story kind of going into this next portion? I think just that the story began with we want to know and love Jesus. Like, I want to know him. Uh, I want to love him. That's true for my family Uh, That's true in our marriage. That's true as we raise our children. And I want that reflected in the life of our church. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, whether there's another pandemic or another political disaster or another crisis that our nation or world goes through, at the end of the day, this church is still to be about knowing and loving Jesus Mm -hmm. and his plan for the world. And so I'm content to not know all the answers of what do we do with growth as long as we are committed to presenting the gospel and pursuing knowing Jesus, regardless of how big this church grows or shrinks to. 
and regardless of who stays or who goes, uh, we want to be about knowing Jesus and loving him. I love that. All right, let's, for a minute, I want to circle back on, you briefly mentioned Summit and your residency and the shaping and training and really kind of the, in some ways, the Lord had prepared you for decades at that point of being a pastor, but the practical nuts and bolts of what does it mean to plant a church? What does it mean to really flush out a mission statement that's not just a statement on a wall that kind of gets lost in the clutter of all the other decorations, so to speak, but a mission statement that's active, that's living, that actually is getting worked out. So Grace Auburn's mission is this, that we exist, Grace Auburn exists for the city, for the campus and nations to know and love Jesus by establishing authentic gospel communities. So there's a lot there. I want to unpack both sides of it, but let's at least talk for a minute just about how that statement came to be, how it defines who we were in the beginning and are currently uh, today. Well, it came out of a conversation in Denver, Colorado, and part of my residency with Summit Church was going and visiting other churches that had recently planted and grown to be healthy and sustainable and multiplying. And I was sharing my heart for our church with a group of pastors and church planters. And I said, you know, I I want our church um, to be contextualized. So I want the city, the campus, and the nations um, to know that we're there. Mm. And I want it to be that we know and love Jesus together. Mm. And one of the guys said, that's great. I totally agree with you. Every church should be about knowing and loving Jesus, but how are you going to take that idea that the city, campus, and nations would know and love Jesus? How is that going to work? What are you going to do about that? And really, he was asking me, not what I want to happen, but how will that happen? And very naturally, I said, well, by establishing authentic gospel communities. And they're like, well, okay. So what, what does that mean? And the reason why it's plural is because community can take place in a variety of environments or in context. It can take place. People experience community uh, in a meal, uh, in a small group, in a large group, in a large gathering. And community is an experience that is not bound by quantity of people, but by the quality of the experience. And we want the gospel to be central to that. So when we say Grace Auburn exists for the city, campus, and nations to know and love Jesus— that's because we exist to know and love Jesus. That's right. And this happens to be a college town, a wonderful city that continues to grow, and there are so many nationalities represented here. And while that is true, what will hold us together and keep us together is the gospel, mm. because in the gospel there's one new humanity, and that's who we are in Christ. But in Christ we have been called to be a community of faith together that's committed to one another and submitted to Jesus together. And so... It doesn't work without the other. Yeah, We've right. got to, and to know and love Jesus can't be an individual thing. It mm-hmm. is an individual relationship, but it's held together in a gospel community. Yeah, I love how everything we do has both a personal component, like there's some, there's a very real call on my own life and soul on a Sunday morning in response to the gospel in the taking of communion together, but then it can never be private. It's always meant, always meant to be shared in community. I love the phrase authentic gospel communities. And for me, it truly does always circle back with is 
are we leading with Jesus? Is that the beginning of all of our conversations? And are we creating spaces, whether it be in this one on Sunday morning, in our homes, in Bible studies, and community groups, in one-on-one conversations? So yes, beginning with Jesus, authentic gospel communities being kind of the, 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 the main beam, so to speak, by which we grow community on, if that is the trellis of how we flesh out this mission. How are we growing that? How are we giving space and time for people to know one another, genuinely know one another, and communities that begin with Jesus? You made the statement in fleshing that out about how we cannot do that alone. While there is a that while there is a personal response, there is also a corporate uh, component to that. We live in a day where church membership. Belonging to a body of believers um, is not necessarily in some in some spaces it's not even talked about, and in other spaces it's maybe um, not necessarily life giving in terms of membership. Is really when things go wrong, your membership kind of holds you accountable, so to speak. I want to talk just for a few minutes as we get towards the end of this episode. I want to talk for just a few minutes about what does it mean to belong to one another in membership? Why is membership important for you as a pastor? Why is it important for the, the church in the West and for this church in particular? Why does church membership matter today? I think it's important to acknowledge initially that our culture is highly individualistic. Mm. And people tend to think just about themselves and tend to orient their lives just around their own personal interests. And so when we look back to when the church began to grow, it was a community of believers and they were devoted to one another and they were devoted to the word and they were devoted to the teaching of the gospel and they were devoted to fellowship. And so when we think about how the church began and what it has become, it's very easy culturally for church to be an event that you go to rather than a community you belong to. And so mm. the reason membership matters is because, A, it's biblical. Right. We are members of one body, and that body is the body of Christ. And so without a commitment of saying we're committing to this body, to this local church, then it helps clarify and prioritize what we give our lives to and what we give our lives for. And so by committing to one another as members of this local congregation, we're saying this is the mission that we're called to and committed to together, and these are the believers that we are submitted to living life with one another. And in the same way where Paul talks about the model of marriage, um, therefore, out of reverence for Christ, submit to one another, that same principle is applied in the life of the church. Out of reverence for Christ, we are to submit to one another. And so membership... Um, from the very beginning, is us saying together, because of Jesus, we're committed to him and we're committed to each other. And in a culture that doesn't commit to much, where membership is even sometimes an an unrecognizable term, Mm. this is why we hold membership so highly. And it also helps us as pastors, as ministry leaders, it helps us uh, steward our time and to know the people in our congregation. Yeah. And what people may not realize is uh, part of being a pastor is loving your people. Mm. And so understanding how many people am I to love and to care for is a very important thing because everyone has demands on their time, and we want to just steward our time well. But it's not about stewardship as much as it is we bear the responsibility of shepherding the flock that God's entrusted to us. Yeah, that's so good. That's so good. All right, so we— in so many ways, membership functions as a counter formation to culture where we 
it's both for the good of those who are members to one another and for those of us that are leading and shepherding and overseeing, really knowing how can we love you, how can we know you, how can we walk alongside of you. As a church, if you, you, you reference the Acts 2 scenario of the early church of being devoted to the things they were devoted to, they were devoted to gathering and to the teaching of God's Word, and they were devoted to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, to praying with and for one another. Over the course of the episodes after this, uh, we're going to dig into and really jump headfirst into what does it look like for us to be on mission in the community? What does it look like for us to be gathered together in homes and committed to eating together, praying with and for one another. I want to I want to end today just recognizing that the church has for thousands of years now both gathered together for the preaching of God's word and then scattered into the city to be on mission with and for one another. And so as we finish this episode today, I want to talk about worship. I want to talk about how we gather, how we do the things that we do on a Sunday morning. And I really think that's a that's part one of the the rest of this series of because it matters that we belong to one another, that it also matters that we gather together. It matters that family comes together, sees one another, knows one another, worships with one another. It's really how we carry out the one another's of Scripture all together, coming in a, to a place, preaching the Word of God, singing songs of praise and worship of who He is, seeing others do that as well. But how we worship is unique and how, uh, you know, we have grown from a church that gathered in a coffee shop to gathering at a Lutheran church at 5 p.m. to today, while it has changed, much of what we do hasn't changed. It's still highly unique. And so I'd love to just spend a few moments, especially for those who are new to Grace Auburn, and it's a little bit unnerving and uncomfortable when one of us stands up and talks about how we're going to pray for unreached people groups. Let's just walk through the order of service quickly. Uh, and maybe this is a whole podcast series in and of itself in the future where we bring in other voices for why we do some of the things that we do. Walk us through the order of worship. Okay. Well, I think to begin with, when I thought about how do we gather our people to worship God, mm. I wanted, when we first began, I want people to walk away having encountered the presence of Jesus. Mm and remembering what he has done and less remembering me and more remembering him. And so early on, I, I wanted from beginning to end for it to be all pointing to Jesus and the faithfulness of God. And so we begin every service with the reading of God's word together out loud to normalize the reading of God's word, which goes back to the Old Testament when they would stand up yeah. and read and recite God's Word together. Um, we sing songs of praise to reorient our soul towards who He is, to His faithfulness, to our need for Him, and how we are to respond to Him. And then as we welcome people in that moment, the next uh, decision we made early on is to acknowledge that it is a global kingdom That's right. He is building. And I remember part of what informed this is when we served overseas, as missionaries, it was very easy to feel like what we were doing was invisible, hidden, and in many ways it was to the Western world, but it was not invisible to God. No. And he knew and he saw. And so I remember during my residency sharing with the other church planters that I'm committed to praying for unreached people groups every single week out loud in our service. And they laughed at me. They're like, That's, that 
can make people feel very uncomfortable. I'm like, I know. Yeah. However, there are billions of souls that don't know Jesus, and I just want it to be normal that we think about that That's right. and that we do something. And so the reason we pray for unreached people groups is, one, it matters to God. That's right. It's part of his uh, commission to the church to make disciples of all nations, and there are many nations and many peoples that still need to hear the gospel. And so I wanted in that moment to normalize for our families and for our individuals having a global mindset and being okay with the fact that while we have needs and we have concerns, that there are people who have even greater eternal concerns and we are to pray for them. And I remember making that commitment early on. I remember uh, the courage required no doubt. to say, I know we all have needs, yeah, but tonight we're going to pray for this Muslim minority group in this country. And well, and for my family, coming into that, not not having been part of developing that ethos of what a Sunday worship experience and prayer looks like, it was so meaningful for my family. Mm. It was so meaningful for us and my kids, especially my, my oldest daughter, has multiple really good friends of people who are here, Parents, their parents are internationals, and we pray for them in our home, but to have an entire church experience where our kids in that moment are with us in worship for the purpose of it being normal for them from now and for the rest of their lives to pray for people who have little to no access mm-hmm. to the gospel. And so that's, that's part of the reason, too, if as the liturgy moves on throughout the course of a morning, that our kids are in that moment that's right. so that it is part of their formation, part of their discipleship. And we loved that coming in for the first time. Yeah, because it also provides an opportunity for parents to disciple their children, and they're not alone in that process. And mm-hmm. so to normalize the reading of God's Word, to normalize corporate prayer, to normalize praying for unreached people groups, it helps inform the way that we live the other days of the week. And mm-hmm. when we're when we're in the spaces that we, we live, work, and play, so to speak, we're not blind right. to people from other cultures or ethnicities. Um, and so... The whole idea of praying for unreached people groups is not um, just for the people around the world that we're praying for, but it's also to give us eyes to see those very people in our community, and mm. it's also to create a moment for our church members who are there in worship with us to remember there is a world that still is waiting to hear the love of Jesus Christ. Yeah, absolutely. So we move from that moment of prayer to a quick moment of fellowship where we do want people to say hello to one another, and we continue to sing, preparing our hearts to hear the Word of God. And then as we work through Scripture together, I'm always amazed at the feedback I get. And the feedback is not, Matt, you're such a great preacher, Mm. but thank you for giving me Jesus. Yes, Thank you for the Bible. And what I love about this church is that you just teach the Bible. And I don't know why that is so surprising or confounding, (laughs) but what else are we supposed to do? Right. And so... When people say, hey, great sermon, um, that doesn't go to my ego. I, I want people to know Jesus, yeah. and I want to know Jesus. Yeah. And the only way we really do that is through looking at his word together that mm. shows us Jesus. And yes. then following following the preaching of the word really is a moment for us to remember the gospel together. Yes, And to take communion on a weekly basis is intentional on our part because all of us throughout the week uh, struggle. All of us throughout the week forget. All of us need to remember together, but it's a beautiful opportunity to say to the non-believers in the room, we're so glad that you're here, and you're always welcome here as a non-Christian. But if you are a Christian, 
then we're going to remember the gospel together, mm. and we're going to remember his broken body and shed blood together, mm. and we're going to confess individually in our own hearts, but corporately together as a body of believers, what it means to remember the mercy of God. Yes. And then we sing one more song um, to lift the whole morning up in our hearts back to Jesus, to praise him for who he is, and we end the service with a benediction from God's word. So from beginning to end, it's the word of God, and the gospel is woven throughout every single service and every single sermon, and that's our commitment in being a gospel-centered church. On behalf of the Grace Auburn Church family, thank you for listening to the Grace Auburn Church podcast. If you'd like more information about partnering with us and our mission or ways that you can get connected, please go to our website, graceauburn.church.